Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is a crucial moment for Rishi Sunak to show that he can do both the politics and the economics. If you have aspects like natural gas in it, you risk to undermine the credibility of what it means to be green and undermine consumer investor confidence. But I think actually what shocked us in the world of politics has been the pace of change, the sheer instability in government that we've seen. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to our first programme of 2023. Caroline, have you made any New Year's resolutions? I have made an absolute ton. Oh, well done. Yeah, I make loads of New Year's resolutions. Um, I think over the little Christmas break, I did a bit of high-low entertainment. I went to the Winter Wonderland in central London. Nice. But I also went to the theatre, the Bridge Theatre. So yeah, my New Year's resolutions are to go to better museums in London to okay. make a bit of time, aside from yes. politics. You see, at the end of the year, everybody was asked, after such a hectic year in, polit- in politics, mm. you know, what do you do to kind of uh, get a little break? So yes, that's my New Year's resolution. You? Oh, that's what we see. Now, I don't make New Year's resolutions because I exist oh. in an exhausting state state of uh, self-assessment and setting unrealistic goals for myself all year round. So I don't do it at this time of year because I find the pressure is simply too much. But ask me again at the start of February, and I'm sure I'll have set at least 10 unrealistic goals for myself, which I would proceed to fail spectacularly through, which gives us a neat uh, trip to where we're going in politics, where people are setting unrealistic expectations for how uh, they can manage what is a very difficult and chaotic situation we're seeing yet again, New Year more strikes. Yes, or indeed not really going anywhere or doing anything at all because, of course, we've had um, you know, warnings about uh, not using the rails unless you absolutely mm-hmm. have to, warnings about putting on a mask if you're unwell, and staying away from the NHS. So the rail workers, firstly, are going back on strike for five days this week. Yeah, the government so far taking a hard line on wage talks. Transport Secretary Mark Harper saying there isn't a bottomless pit of taxpayers' money to resolve the deadlock with rail unions, but he is urging further negotiations. There's a fair and reasonable payoff on the table. There's not a bottomless pit of taxpayers' money here. You've got to have an offer that's both fair to the people that work in the industry, but that's also fair to the taxpayer that's picking up the tab. And that's the balance that we're trying to strike. Mark Harper's description of today's round of walkouts by the RMT union was that they were, quote, deeply unhelpful. But the head of the RMT union, that's Mick Lynch, says that actually the public are backing them. We don't think we're losing public support. We're getting massive support from people online, in person, on our picket lines. And even when our members are at work on non-strike days, the travelling public is telling us they support us. They want a a decent railway that's running their interests. And they don't want this inaction from the government. So the RMT union leader Mick Lynch speaking there. Well, I mean, the question really for the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, can the government hold the line on what the PM sees as these inflation-busting pay rises? Well, as we know, the economic backdrop was pretty grim as well. The Financial Times today has a poll of more than 100 UK-based economists, which finds the UK is facing the worst and longest recession in the G7 
with an intensifying squeeze on household incomes. Uh, Delphine Strauss and Valentina Rome from the FT quoting the economist John Philpott who says the 2023 recession will feel much worse than the economic impact of the pandemic. Yeah, it's pretty grim. Why will it be so much worse here in the UK than in other G7 countries? Well, the FT puts that down to the UK being exposed to the global surge in energy prices and interest rates. We've heard uh, that a lot from government, but also that the workforce has shrunk since the pandemic. Yeah, indeed. And look, even the this survey highlighting the, quote, fundamental problems that policy mistakes had made worse, things like poor productivity, weak business investment, the damage done to trade by Brexit, all issues that we've heard highlighted for many quarters in recent months as well. But interesting to see them compiled in that uh survey in the Financial Times today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And also, of course, all of that contributing to a very full intray for the government as they get back to business, begin to get back to business after the holidays. Our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden, has been rifling through the issues for us. Good morning, Lizzie. Firstly, on the strikes. I mean, this is such an enormous headache for everybody across the UK and for government. How can the government... Um, you know, face down the unions, they seem to not want to budge. Can they really hold that line? Yeah, it's not just annoying, it's dangerous. You've got Mm. people dying in hospitals uh, because of the delays to get into emergency care. As it stands, the government's holding its hard line. We heard from the Defence Secretary Ben Ben Wallace last week saying that the government's not going to be held to ransom by the unions as it was in the 1970s. So Rishi Sunak doing his best Margaret Thatcher impression. But the risk really being that these strikes continue. The Guardian said today it could continue till April um, and that they broaden across sectors and that the UK ends up in paralysis just like it did in the 1970s, which brought Margaret Thatcher to power. So massive pressure on Rishi Sunak to cave to the union's demands or at least speak up on the strikes. And when you've got rail workers striking for five days this week to start the year... That's holding back retailers' ability to maximise the January sales, but it also means that more people are working from home. And I understand that that is a massive concern for the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, throughout 2023, not just now, because, of course, it holds back growth. But really, the overriding concern among Treasury ministers that I speak to is that if they give a bit now in terms of capitulating to the unions, they may have to give even more later as inflation continues. Lizzie, this has been going on, particularly with the rail workers, for months and months now. Is there any sign of who's going to blink first when it comes to... Because it now looks like a standoff, rather than the rail companies necessarily being involved, it looks like a standoff between the government and the unions. Yeah, I think it comes down to public opinion, which you heard the RMT boss, Nick Lynch, there saying that public opinion is on the union side. Interestingly, it varies support between the different strikers and actually his, the people he's representing get less public sympathy than the nurses, who of course we clap for in the pandemic. So it's a battle between I think public opinion and how long the union's funding can last. They say that they've got enough in the kitty to last this out, but like the government's coffers, they're not bottomless either. Uh, And so I think that's how it's going to play out over the next few months. Mm. Um, Where are Labour on all of this? I mean, we, you and I spent a lot of 2022 trying to get Labour to actually say what they would fight for in terms of pay rises 
So where are Labour on strike action? So to be fair to Labour, we had uh, Shadow Work and Pension Secretary John Ashworth on mm. uh, and we didn't seem to, we didn't feel like there was much of a difference between Labour's position and the Tories because they too wouldn't give double digit pay rises but what he says is the difference is that at least they would come to the negotiating table Mm. and the criticism of Rishi Sunak is that he doesn't understand that when a situation like this happens no you don't give the unions what they are asking for but you meet them somewhere in the middle Uh, and and the the problem at the moment is he's, he's not even seemingly coming to the table but really if he starts negotiating surely it seems inevitable that he's going to be portrayed as weak. And that has been the criticism week after week at Prime Minister's Questions from Keir Starmer. He's already had to give in on house building, on wind power. He's lost a key ally in Gavin Williamson. So that's that's Labour. The, the Liberal Democrats have demanded a recall of Parliament mm. to tackle this life and death situation. Um, but health leaders have sought to play down that claim that 500 patients are dying per week because of the delays in emergency care. The other thing I'd just say about the other parties is I was speaking to, let me say, an unnamed economist <laughs> who said that the choice between the Tories and Labour, is that with the Tories you get low unemployment uh, and low wages and with Labour you'd get higher unemployment and higher wages Um, and you've just got to make a choice between the two. It's two evils really. Yeah, we're going to be talking more about some of the issues facing the NHS with Lisa Pham in just a couple of minutes. But Lizzie, I'm intrigued about, you know, we, we talked about there being a broad range of issues on the horizon for the government this year. Um, what else should we be watching out for? What's on the horizon in the political world? Well, in terms of economics is going to dominate the agenda and the two big macro themes for the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will be inflation and recession and whether inflation can be tamed without stoking the recession that the Bank of England says we're already in. In his New Year's message, Rishi Sunak said that yes, 2022 was difficult. Yes, 2023 is going to continue to be difficult. And the UK is the only economy in the G7 that has yet to return to its pre-pandemic size. So that's going to shape the agenda for the government politically as we head towards the election that the Tories need to call by January 2025. Mm-hmm. And they're really trailing Labour in the polls. One poll put Labour 26 points ahead of the Conservatives. So Rishi Sunak now needs to prove that after 12 years of government, the Tories aren't tired. In fact, they've got talent, ideas and unity to deserve another term. And you've got two big opportunities to prove that. The budget on March the 15th to show you're serious about growth and the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement in April to show that you can deliver a compromise on Brexit to show that you understand businesses' need for stability. So then just lastly and briefly, why pick this fight? Why end the energy support for businesses? Um, Because, as they say, they don't have this infinite pot of cash uh, to to continue the support and what's dangerous about it is that it's so tied to wholesale energy prices. But really... The question of what happens in Ukraine is going to be the defining, um, is going to define the year ahead for the government, for the Bank of England, because it affects food prices and energy prices. And the, the government would love to see the back of this because it's the cost of living crisis that seems to be the thing that's going to dominate the next election. Cut. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So it's our first programme back into the new year. We're How is your back-to-work dread, Caroline? <laughs> it was pretty sizable, I must say. Helped by a glass of wine yesterday. Anyway, less said about that, the better. Um, but teeing up 2023, there is actually one possible avenue of good news for the government. Could there be a resolution to the long-running, thorny issue of the Northern Ireland Protocol, the post-Brexit relationship between the UK, Northern Ireland, Ireland and the EU? And that's coming up. Yeah, that's right. So the, the deadline here that everyone's trying to work towards is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which is the 10th of April uh, this year. There has been no functioning power-sharing government in Northern Ireland now for almost a year, and that's because the Democratic Unionist Party say they're unhappy with how the protocol works, uh, which governs the post-Brexit trade rules with the EU, and they want changes made, so it's now up to London to negotiate that Mm. with Brussels. But the other key player to watch in all of this is the Irish Taoiseach, the Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar. So he's just taken over as part of the coalition deal there. He's taken over the office of of Taoiseach again just in December, and he gave a news conference yesterday where he did actually... strike a very conciliatory tone uh, because there had been a lot of fears, particularly among the Unis community in Northern Ireland, as to how this would play out yes. in terms of tone. Micheál Martin, the previous Taoiseach, was seen as being someone who was perhaps a little bit more balanced, whereas there was a fear that Leo Varadkar might be very bullish in the way he, he I suppose, approached this, this issue and that that could, you know, be bad, reflect poorly for the Unis community in Northern Ireland. So that's been a subject of debate. But he has, in this news conference, made some reference to, uh, I suppose, how mistakes may have been made in the drawing up of the protocol and that he's interested in being, in his words, flexible and reasonable in finding solutions. Yeah, it was quite a light touch. Have a listen to what he had to say. There was no roadmap, no manual. It wasn't something that we expected would happen and we've all done our best uh, to deal with it. Uh, Again, look forward to travelling to Northern Ireland early in the new year in an effort to find a solution. So there you have Leo Varadkar speaking in Dublin yesterday. So he's essentially conceded that the Northern Ireland Protocol in its current format is too strict and says that he understands unionist concerns that the treaty has made them feel less British. Now, his name and image have actually appeared in, in threatening graffiti and posters in Loyalist Airs Northern Ireland recently. So he has mm-hmm. become a figure, as I say, that has attracted a lot of criticism in this process. And what he's essentially saying is, is that because of the exceptions that have been applied to the protocol, to allow sort of an implementation period, this is certain checks aren't currently taking place because of waivers that have been put in place 
agreed between London and the EU. Uh, he's saying that this has shown us that the protocol can work in a more light touch way and that's what he means by it being perhaps too strict on paper but right. the application of it has shown there is room for flexibility and this is what they're hoping to formalise essentially in the talks that we know that are ongoing. Yeah and I think you have to layer over all of this the fact that the Americans are involved and are uh, you know heavyweights within this um, political dynamic and with President Joe Biden you know going into the second half of his presidency I think that has to be kind of factored into. Yeah and of course that's the one of the main goals of trying to get something done to be able to commemorate the 25th anniversary yes. of the Good Friday peace agreement that they want everyone including the Americans to be on board to be present and to take part in that and for it to be a moment to celebrate the functioning power sharing government uh, but that still looks a bit, a bit of a long way away uh, for now but certainly the tone being struck from Rishi Sunak's government in yes. London from the Irish government in Dublin and in the EU give us a sense that there could be progress coming and that could happen quite quickly yeah a little bit sooner though on the calendar than that are the next strikes that are affecting the National Health Service. So let's move on and talk about ambulance workers who are expected to walk out on the 11th and on the 23rd of January. And then the next strike by nurses in the UK, the 18th and 19th of this month. Yeah, the recent wave of industrial action adding to the pressure on the already creaking NHS. The Health Security Agency yesterday issuing a statement advising people who are unwell to stay at home or wear a face covering if they have to leave the house. They're also advising people to keep children at home from school if they're sick too. Yeah, look, there was uh, something of a panic, certainly a murmur amongst the parents, um, you know, collecting kids from schools uh, that I was at just before Christmas when there was the concern about strep mm. A and scarlet fever. So, you know, the, the concerns, I think, amongst patients in the UK really mounting because of this strike action. So let's bring in our Bloomberg reporter, Lisa Pham, who covers pharmaceuticals and the healthcare sector to to discuss all of this. Lisa, great to have you with us. Happy New Year. Um, Having said that, not a happy new year, you know, for anybody worried about their health. What is the scale of the crisis in your view now when it comes to the NHS? Yeah, there's a lot going on at the moment. I mean, we have the Royal College of Emergency Medicine saying that between 300 and 500 patients would die every week in emergency care. One of the issues, according to the College of Paramedics, is that there are hundreds of patients in hospital who should be looked after elsewhere in social care. And this means that patients who are in emergency care currently can't be admitted to hospital right now. The British Medical Association has called the current situation intolerable and unsustainable. On top of that, NHS figures show record waiting lists for routine treatments, including cancer. And at the same time, there's also a staff shortage with data from Nuffield Trust last year showing nurses quitting their jobs in record numbers. So with all of these pressures, it seems like things aren't going to get better for the NHS anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, when already winter is, we know, a very difficult time for health services because things like respiratory inspe- infections go up. You've got a flu wave every year normally as well, and that puts pressure on health services everywhere. But one of the particular issues facing the NHS are the range of strikes. We've got nurses, ambulance drivers. Um, they're all, you know, big challenges facing those running the NHS. What do the strikers want? As we all know, inflation has soared in the UK, rising above 10% in recent months. But nevertheless, public sector pay hasn't kept up with inflation. And as you mentioned, Caroline, the Royal College of Nursing said that members will strike on the 18th and 19th of January. It's important to keep in mind also that this follows two days of historic industrial action in December. 
And meanwhile, we do have ambulance drivers who will stop work on the 11th of January and junior doctors will also be voting for strikes this month. Now, Rishi Sunak last month insisted that the government is acting in the UK's interest by refusing to negotiate salary deals with health unions, though he didn't rule out the possibility of a one-off payment. It's important to note that health unions have said that they're willing to call off strikes if negotiations take place. But given that there are strikes happening in other places, in other sectors, such as transport and postal delivery, it's unclear whether the government will be willing to negotiate at this time and which sector it will prioritise. Mm. And yet, of course, all of that in the face of an increasingly sort of strident vocal opposition party, you know, West Streeting, um, the shadow health secretary. What are Labour's demands? What is the government saying? And I suppose I'll ask you the same question that I asked um, our UK correspondent Lizzie Burden just earlier. Can Rishi Sunak hold out against the pay demands from healthcare workers in particular? Yeah, it's interesting. The Labour Party has called the government handling of the situation a mismanagement of the NHS. And Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting told the BBC that there are immediate options available to the government. Meanwhile, the Liberal Democrats have suggested that it might be time to recall Parliament to discuss the issue. At the same time, Education Minister Robert Halford has defended the Prime Minister on the issue, saying Rishi Sunak is treating the NHS as a top priority. He said the government is increasing the NHS capacity by the equivalent of 7,000 beds, as well as spending an extra £500 million to speed up hospital discharge and improve capacity. Still, the question is whether all of these government actions are enough to ease the pressures on the NHS, particularly when it comes to the staffing challenges. Yeah, I mean, as you say, that particular pressure point facing uh, the NHS from so many corners. How does Britain's NHS compare globally, though? Are there solutions to the current crisis perhaps to be found in models elsewhere in the world? Interesting, because the NHS used to be a source of national pride for the UK. I mean, we saw the nation come together for the weekly clap for carers during the early days of the pandemic. But sentiment has certainly shifted in recent years. A survey last year showed that Britain's satisfaction with the public health care system dipped to its lowest level since 1997. But unfortunately, there's no easy way to reverse the impact of years of budget cuts and staffing shortages, as well as the burden of COVID. In fact, the Health Foundation last year estimated that a modest improvement, such as shorter waiting times, more staffing and mental health funding, would require an annual spending increase of 5% in the short term and about 4% in the medium term. But it's unclear how the government would pay for this, given its high debt levels, and it brings into question whether the current model of healthcare in the UK is still viable. There have been calls in the media for a different funding model, so that will certainly be another thing to watch in the coming months, and particularly looking at what other countries do and how they handle this situation as well. Yeah, I thought um, picking up on that idea, I was reading the Telegraph um, piece by Jill Kirby this morning and who was talking, she was talking effectively about NHS privatisation. Uh, she was saying, you know, you can't suppress demand to this extent. You can't sort of tell people to stay home if they're really unwell. We need a health service, in her words, that responds to patient demand based on a different funding model. So that mm. sounds a lot like privatisation to me. And if we look at in The Spectator as well, Hardman has written a book actually Actually about the NHS is is talking about how even with a very sympathetic government, the NHS, which this government does appear to be, um, 
the reforms they're putting in place now won't actually have made any material difference by the time the next election comes around because it's not something you can't flick a switch in systems like this and change some of those deep-seated problems that Lisa was just telling us about. This is an issue that actually requires, you know, a, a, a kind of a long run-in because you put new systems in place and they need time to play out. So mm. the, the point that she's making is, is that no matter what they do now anyway, it's unlikely to yield them any electoral benefit because the results won't be seen in time for the next time the public goes to the polls. No, Absolutely. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. That is our Bloomberg reporter, Lisa Pham, there, who covers pharmaceuticals and the healthcare sector. No, this is an immensely difficult moment for the NHS. And indeed, a number of the NHS leaders who've been out you know, speaking to the media in the past few days have said this is a long running issue. Anyone working on the front lines understands that this, this is perhaps an issue that is 10 or more years in the making. Yeah, no, Parliament isn't back until Monday. But as Lisa was telling us there, Daisy Cooper from the Lib Dems is calling for MPs to be recalled earlier to deal with the crisis facing the NHS. A similar call in Scotland from the opposition there as well. They want First Minister Nicola Sturgeon to recall Holyrood early to discuss the crisis in emergency departments there as well. That, of course, as we ramp up for the start of the new political year. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so that other people can find it in 2023 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcott. Marufal Hussein was on sound. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.